I'm Brent Moore with Humphreys Moore Ranch in Box Elder, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We are ready to roll with another edition of Texas Ag Today. So all you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, solar farms are expanding all over Texas. That was a big topic of discussion at the recent Texas Farm Bureau Convention in Waco. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With tight majorities in the House and Senate, what's the outlook for completing a new farm bill next year? I'm James Hunt, and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll hear from Dr. Joe Outlaw of Texas A&M. On today's program, the onion transplant process for an entire new group of customers that surfaced during the height of the COVID period. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments from the president of a South Texas onion company that was involved in the process, all on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas has a Thanksgiving week cool down, just the thing that many had been hoping for. We'll have those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Renewable energy continues to expand in Texas and solar farms are a part of that. Solar farm expansion was a big topic of discussion at last weekend's Texas Farm Bureau Convention in Waco. Farm Bureau President Russell Baining. We did have good discussion about it, and, and we should. You know, we're a property rights uh, organization. We, we think a lot of private property rights. You know, folks just want a fair shake. You know, we're not against renewable energy, but there's some concerns about where they're put, not, not only the production that's taken out of production, but, you know, there was a little bit of talk about, you know, how close should they be to a river and those type of things. So, But as you well know, uh, solar farms have gotten to be a, a, a major issue in this state. And Baining says he feels like Farm Bureau is in a good position to be a leader in the solar farm debate. Yes, sir. I, I believe that we're very much in position to do that. I mean, with our with our policy, um, you know, we had good discussion on policy. We changed and modified some of our policy. Of course, we know we have a great legislative uh, staff in Austin. Uh, so, I, you know, I think we're in a great spot. We, I think we have good policy uh, and we'll go forward with it. There are an estimated 400,000 acres of solar farms already in development across Texas. 2022 was a good year for local livestock auctions here in Texas with massive numbers of cattle and sheep being sold because of drought. But Chelsea Good with the Livestock Marketing Association says that could mean fewer livestock to sell in the future. 
Yes, they absolutely have had a good year, um, but some of the volumes concerning volume, you know, when, when we're real droughty, um, you get some cows going through the auction that the markets are looking at those producers and saying, boy, I hope they restock. You know, I hope that I hope that I'm not selling a cow now. That means I'm not going to be selling calves for a couple seasons. And so it has been a good year, but we, we do feel for producers that have experienced these drought conditions. And we really hope that we get some good moisture and people are able to restock and, you know, get the numbers back where they want them to be. But even with the turmoil caused by the drought this year, the value of an active local livestock market was proven. And, you know, if you've got a smaller group of calves, if you don't have, you know, pretty much a consistent truckload, it might be your only option. So it's really important that we have these markets in our, you know, local communities, not, not just as an option, but the option that pits multiple buyers against one another and helps drive price up through that auction method to find the top value, the top dollar for those animals. Good says the Livestock Marketing Association is working on other issues like allowing sale barn owners to invest in local meat packing facilities and making it easier to use electronic payments for livestock transactions. We will have divided government in Washington starting next month. James Hunt takes a look at how that could affect the writing of the new farm bill. The setting on Capitol Hill has been established. Come January, Democrats will control the Senate by a narrow margin. Republicans will hold a slim majority in the House. Texas A&M ag economist Joe Outlaw has helped write a few farm bills over the years. I asked him what it will be like trying to write a new one with such a tight partisan split in Congress. Well, I've seen it work both ways where neither had the ability to, to kind of throw their weight around, so they worked together. And then I've also seen where neither could work together, period. Dr. Outlaw says he's trying to be optimistic about lawmaker cooperation, but regardless, he does not expect a new farm bill to be put together before the current one expires. I was in a room full of congressional staff and I made a whole room mad at me by saying that I didn't think the bill would get done on time. Not that they won't try. That's not. I'm not saying that they're not going to try, but when you have a changeover, like the House is going to change, that means that after the first of the year, all the offices will move because that's the first thing that happens. The majority party gets the better offices, gets more staff. They got to hire those staff. All this takes time. And beyond those matters, Dr. Outlaw says the process will also likely get drawn out because the Republican-led House Ag Committee in 2023 will have different priorities than the Democratic-led committee of 2022. Over the last year, they've done a whole bunch of carbon hearings. Well, Republicans will be in charge and they can do hearings on what they want to do. So are they going to do those before the next farm bill gets written? Probably because that's what informs the legislative process. So my guess is they're going to work really hard, and we're probably going to need at least a one-year extension. Once again, that was Dr. Joe Outlaw of Texas A&M. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The largest onion transplant grower in the U.S. is right here in Texas. Tom Nicoletti says the COVID lockdown created a whole new group of gardeners who buy these transplants. An entire new group of consumers began growing vegetables and specifically onion transplants during the height of the COVID period. A large supplier of those onions was Dixondale Farms Incorporated in Carrizo Springs of South Texas. Bruce Fraser is president of Dixondale Farms. And the reason for that was one, they were stuck at home. Two, they weren't going out to eat as much, so they were 
growing their own produce to feed their family at their dinner table. And three, people that were working, a lot of people were working from home, so they didn't have the long commute and they had time to start a vegetable garden. We ship about 800 million of these plants a year throughout the country. We take them from a seed to a plant, and the plant has about four leaves, so it's about the size of a pencil. And we bunch them up and ship them to people, and then they transplant these plants into their garden. What we do through our mail order, we then send them a series of seven emails through the growing season, coaching them through the process. What we found was that during COVID, we got a huge amount of brand new customers that maybe really didn't know what they were doing. They were new to gardening. So for them to have success, we wanted to coach them through the process and understand water requirements, fertilized requirements, looking for insects and disease and harvest solutions and ways to cure and and store their onion crops so they could enjoy them over a long period of time. That is Bruce Frazier, president of Dixondale Farms Incorporated in the Texas Winter Garden. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Fall is finally cooling down the Rio Grande Valley. Jim Hearn has an update from Deep South Texas. Well, the past few years, the Thanksgiving attire has been t-shirts, cutoffs, and flip-flops. Thanksgiving Day has been awful hot the last few years, but not this year. A rainy, cool Thanksgiving greeted many valley producers. Rainfall amounts range one to three inches valley-wide. The drizzle that followed kept everything damp for, say, three to five days. Harvesting of citrus, vegetables, and sugarcane has been spotty at best and will continue for the foreseeable future until things dry up a little more. Amistad elevation, now at 46.7% full, uh, has been holding steady for about the last 30 days. At Falcon, we've seen a small increase. Now they're 14% full. Both of those reservoirs, though, can hold a tremendous amount of more water. The recent rains have taken a lot of the South Texas area out of the drought index. Valley water districts, though, were still curtailing the amount of agricultural water that goes to producers. And with the current situation, we need these future fronts to all come in wet. The young onion crop is looking excellent. It's gotten off to a tremendous, tremendous start. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is recommending closure of the Light Goose Conservation Order in Texas. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll explain why coming up on Texas Ag Today. And older horses are commonly diagnosed with Cushing's disease. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. 
Older horses are commonly diagnosed with Cushing's disease. Dr. Bob Judd says monitoring their response to treatment is important. The correct name for Cushing's disease in horses is posterior pituitary intermediate dysfunction, or PPID. 25 years ago, we did not know anything about PPID or Cushing's disease, and over the last 25 years, we have found that many horses do have PPID. One study even indicated that 50% of the horses over 15 years of age have some degree of PPID. Symptoms of the disease include delayed shedding of hair and chronic laminitis, as well as drinking excessive water and recurrent infections. As our horse population gets older, as horses are living longer, PPID will be more common. The disease can be diagnosed sometimes with just clinical signs, and it is the only known condition that delays shedding in horses. However, some horses require blood testing, such as an ACTH test or a TRH stimulation test, to make the diagnosis. The disease is treated by a drug called Prescend given once a day, which contains pergolide. However, follow-up monitoring should be performed to make sure the drug is effective. On a review of 28 research studies, clinical improvement was noted in 75% of the horses treated. It is recommended to perform follow-up testing one month after beginning the drug to make sure the horse is on the correct dosage. Assessing improvement in clinical signs is also important, but this is subjective and requires a period of time to see these changes. For this reason, it is recommended to check the blood levels of ACTH to determine if the levels are decreasing. If the levels are decreased to a normal level, we usually recheck the horses every 6 to 12 months, as PPID is a progressive disease, and since the disease progresses, more medication may be needed. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is recommending closure of the Light Goose Conservation Order in the state. Jessica Domel explains in today's Wildlife Report. On our last show, we told you about a proposal that would close the Light Goose Conservation Order in Texas. The Conservation Order is a special amendment to the Migratory Game Bird Treaty Act that enables states to allow additional hunting opportunities to prevent an overabundance of light geese. It was put in place due to concerns with increasing goose populations at staging and wintering grounds in Canada. There were concerns it could cause an ecological collapse. The idea was the order would give hunters a better chance to bag an adult-like goose to help curb population growth. Sean Oldenberger, Small Game Program Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, said at a recent meeting of the Parks and Wildlife Commission that the department is proposing the closure because the order did not fulfill its intended purpose. We grossly underestimated snow goose populations. We used to think we had a few million of these birds. We probably at that same time probably had close to 10 million birds. Also, we probably underestimated carrying capacity from what this landscape can hold, how many geese it can hold. The realization is when we saw those pictures from La Perouse Bay, those are not indicative of what's going across the rest of the Canadian Arctic. The conservation order did not lower adult survivals. That was the point of the conservation order was to reduce these adult survivals and actually bring down the population. Adult survivals actually increased during the conservation order based on science that's been done from 87% to 90%. So 90% of your adults are surviving from year to year. So we did not lower the adult survivals, so therefore that population increased. Recruitment has declined in the last decade, and uh, we've seen that because of a mismatch when these birds are arriving with regards to browse habitat, when they're nesting. Uh, Just a few days can throw these breeding cycles off in the Arctic because there's really a small window there. And currently the recruitment is the primary driver in population growth rates. The commission will consider the proposal at its January meeting. For the Texas Farm Bureau, Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel.
It's time for a check on the markets. Jessica will be back with a complete look in all of Thursday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex traded higher for much of the day Thursday, supported by Wednesday's higher boxed beef prices. December live cattle up 50 cents to 152.42. February live cattle up 37 cents to 153.92. April live cattle up 42 cents to 158.05. Feeder cattle traded higher on Thursday despite corn trading mostly higher. January feeder cattle up $2.57 to $183.47. March feeder cattle up $1.80 to $185.05. April feeder cattle up $1.75 to $188.35. Boxed beef was mixed Thursday. Choice down $2.32 to $246.64. Select up a dollar fifty-two to two twenty-one twenty-nine. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My friend Henry Pickett had a sale in Abilene. It was the second to the last sale he'll have all year. Henry, how was that sale? Ended up pretty well. We uh, had a total of twelve hundred and eighty-five cattle with two hundred and sixty-seven cows and bulls, and we had a lot of really nice calves and yearlings, uh, several better, bigger ranch deals, 30 to 70 head deals, and the market was steady to a little higher. Good. Talk to us about some of those deals and how they were priced. We had some 400-pound steers all off one ranch. They bring 227. We had the 350-pound mates to them bring 250. So it was a pretty good deal. Their heifer mates on the deal, some of those heifers bring 210 weighing 350 and uh, four weight heifers some of them brought up there to 220. Good have we talked about the cow side of it yet? No on the Packer cow side it looked like it was all steady we had a few of the fleshier high yielding cows that uh, went up there to the low 80s but it was a pretty nice deal Good. toward the end of the year. Uh, we have one more sale before the end of the year? Yes, our last sale here will be on December 13th, and then we'll come back, I think it's the 3rd of January. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you for next week's sale. Here at the barn, we can be reached at 325-673-7865, or my sale number is 940-733-8208. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neighbor, that's our livestock auction market report for today. We'll see you next time right here as we walk the pens. I'm Larry Marble. Thank you, Larry. Lean hogs were lower Thursday following Wednesday's decline in pork cutout values. 
Pork cutout values fell $5.37. December lean hogs down 37 cents to 82 even. February lean hogs down $1.95 to 84.70. Analysts say that decline may also be attributed to having plenty of stocks in cold storage right now. Block cheese fell 3.75 cents to 207. Barrel cheese increased 3 cents to $1.95. Those two kind of canceled each other out when it comes to the impact on class 3 milk prices. December class 3 milk down 4 cents to 20.35 a hundredweight. January class 3 milk down 39 cents to 19.23 a hundredweight. This week's weekly sales export report for cotton was not enough to move prices higher on Thursday. March cotton fell 98 points to 80.85. May cotton fell 104 points to 80.65. December 2023 cotton down 82 points to 78.03. Concerns with how dry weather in Argentina may affect their corn crop pushed Corn to trade mostly higher on Thursday. December corn up four and a quarter to 632 even. March corn up one and a quarter to 642 and a half. September corn down a half to 606 and three quarters. December hard red wheat down four to 860 and a half. March hard red wheat down four to 844 and three quarters. July hard red wheat fell five to 834 and a half. January soybeans rose 14 and a quarter to 1486 and three quarters. November soybeans down one to 1397 and three quarters on Thursday. January natural gas rose 25 cents Thursday to 597. February natural gas up 20 cents to 582. January crude oil fell 40 cents to 7161 a barrel. February crude oil fell 52 cents to 7176 a barrel. The Dow rose 88 points Thursday to 33,686. The S&P 500 rose 21 points to 3,955. The Nasdaq rose 103 points to 11,061. Well, that wraps up this look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Dolmel. We hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.